0: And somebody said, you know, I think you should really turn this into a deck building game. I, you know, it just, I see this, I see this game as a deck builder. And so I like started trying to turn it into a deck builder before going, what the heck? Like, there's nothing, I'm not a deck builder here. Like deck building is a great mechanism that has nothing to do with this game.
1: Welcome to Cardboard Creations, where we discuss the process, techniques, and inspiration for designing board games. I'm your host, Candace Harris, and I'm super excited to be here today with Connie Vogelman to find out how Apiary was created. But first, let's jump into a brief overview of how Apiary works. Apiary is a competitive worker placement hive building game for one to five players. Each player controls one of 20 unique factions and starts the game with a hive, a few resources, and worker bees. During the game, you explore planets, gather resources, develop technologies, and create carvings to demonstrate your faction's strengths, which is measured in victory points. When your worker bees are removed from the board, they level up in strength and eventually hibernate. The game ends when all sections of the hibernation comb are filled for the corresponding player count, and the player with the most victory
0: points wins. Hi, Connie! Welcome to the show! Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm really really excited to be here, and I can't wait to talk about Apiary. Cool!
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you, too. You know, when I first heard about Apiary, I was like, this theme of bees in outer space had me super intrigued, and then... And then I looked at the the box cover art and it's stunning and I'm like, okay, now I like really need to see what this is all about. And then after playing it, I really dig it and I love how it's this like this medium worker placement game with such a unique theme and so much variety and also like I'm always excited to see more female designers. So it's really, it's really good to have you here. And I am very, very curious, like what initially inspired you to create Apiary?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I will admit I tend to be a mechanism first game designer and was having a conversation with some friends about worker placement games. And we were talking about how, in a lot of cases, the decision of whether or not to get a new worker isn't as exciting as it should be. You know, you want it to be this really compelling decision. But in an awful lot of games, there's kind of a pre-programmed, like you get a new worker until X round, or maybe you get one new worker in the game or two new workers or something like that. Right. And I was thinking that that wasn't as interesting of a decision as it should be. And so I sort of we had, I think, just played Village, which includes, uh, you know, it's a worker placement game by uh, Inca and Marcus Brand that has this concept of worker death. Um, Essentially, you're taking, you know, actions, the actions cost time. And then basically every time you cross a little bridge uh, on this little like time uh, track that you have, one of your workers has to die. And so I think this was sort of thinking about those two things together and thinking, man, wouldn't it be interesting if you had a worker pool? where that was a dynamic pool where you had workers kind of coming in and coming out over the course of the game. What would that look like? And then from there, it just instantly clicked with like, oh my gosh, this is how honeybees work. I mean, I had been, um, my grandpa used to keep bees. So I'd sort of grown up with it. And then I have bees now. um, So I was kind of getting into that process at the time. And and so the two things just kind of clicked together. So that's where apiary came from.
1: (laughs) That's, that is so awesome. And I never even made that connection of village kind of having that similar mechanism but oh that's that's super cool so how did you get from that initial idea to into a playable prototype
0: badly um, <laughs> so i like yeah no and, and it's, it's actually kind of embarrassing to to think through those early prototyping efforts but i also want to be very upfront about it because like we got to i think what ended up being a very good game through very bad methods in all honesty. So I don't recommend it. Mm. I recommend that people do as I say, not do as I do. Um, because I, I hadn't, I wasn't, I wasn't in the design community at that point in time. Um, I was really just, I was a board game player and kind of floundered my way in. And so I literally made the first 20 versions of apiary in Microsoft word. Okay. Okay. you can do it. It's not an efficient way to do it. Word doesn't do great with layering lots of images over each other. Then of course you're editing everything by hand. The other thing that I did a lot of, which was terrible, was I was you know laminating all of my pieces um, and I was spending hours and hours and hours trying to make this really beautiful prototype only to basically throw it in the trash. I mean, I tend to iterate very quickly quickly and I tend to iterate very aggressively. So between version, you know, 10 and version 11, I'm probably throwing out or recycling, you know, 95% of my components, something like that. And so it was very, very inefficient.
1: Yeah. So you were using paper for everything.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. And this, this was sort of pre, this was pre-COVID um, when I was starting working on this. And so I think the iterating on, you know, Tabletop Simulator or any of the other programs that have um, sprung up since then wasn't as big of a deal back then. So yeah, I was doing it all on, on paper sure. and doing it, frankly, very, very inefficiently. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just, I just always have to put in a plug for NANDEC, um N-A-N-D-E-C-K. Every single time I talk about any game, it's just that thing is a life, life changer and a lifesaver. And absolutely wonderful program for iterating. You basically type all of your information into an Excel spreadsheet, hit go, and then it it generates all your cards. I mean, it's just (laughs) (laughs) life-changing.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I use the uh, Mac equivalent of NAND deck and yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree. Totally agree. So, so eventually I'm assuming you got into creating a more, a more functional uh, prototype somehow. Was it when you started using NANDEC?
0: Uh, no. So I actually kept using Word for uh, until almost uh, until almost I started working with Stonemaier on it. I mean, I, I was stubbornly stuck with it for an incredibly long time. But what did happen is I did end up falling uh, into a group of DC game designers. Um, you know, Elizabeth was leading the group at the time, Elizabeth Hargrave. And then it also had a lot of other great cool. designers, you know, Matthew O'Malley, Dominic grim like a lot of the other like local DC designers. And so that was actually when I really started Kind of getting focus because I think the first few versions of Apiary, maybe the first dozen or two versions of Apiary, I didn't have a lot of focus. I didn't quite know what I wanted it to be. And so it tended to vacillate really drastically back and forth. And so I think it was finally when I started connecting with that group that I really got a good sense of the vision and where I wanted the game to go. And that was when it really started making a lot of progress.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great that you had, you found that like kind of community of game designers that, you know, could help each other and, you know, with play testing and mentorship and everything like that. That's awesome.
0: Uh, it made a really like huge difference. In the right place. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think about that all the time that I was just incredibly, incredibly lucky because there's just a lot that you're going to get from experience and that you can learn from other experienced designers that take a long time if you're, you know, if ever to figure out on your own. Um, and so I was very, very lucky to to find that group.
1: Awesome. So what was like, Either early on or, you know, after you started kind of working with Stonemire, what was your like
0: playtesting process like uh, for Apiary? Yeah, so it definitely got refined a lot over the process because I think when I was first starting to run playtests on my own, I I remember this was back in maybe March of 2019, something like that. I'd been working on the game for maybe two months at most. um, And I remember taking it to a convention and somebody said, you know, I think you should really turn this into a deck building game. I, you know, I just I see this I see this game as a deck builder. And so I like started trying to turn it into a deck builder before going, what the heck? Like, there's nothing. I'm not a deck builder here. Like, deck building is a great mechanism that has nothing to do with this game. And so I, I do think that figuring out how to run play tests is a skill, and that's definitely something that I developed over time. And a lot of that is reading the facial expressions on your playtesters, figuring out what they're confused by, what they're struggling with. You know, I think playtesters often don't know how to fix something, but when they identify a problem, I feel like they're almost always right. I mean, every once in a while, it's a one-off problem that's unique to that person. But 95% of the time, if somebody's mad by something, if they're frustrated by something, if something feels bad, that's a reflection of the game and not the playtester. And so I think Mm -hmm. learning how to... The other thing too is I think setting really clear expectations at the beginning um, of each playtest is really, really... Critical. I mean, this is an early prototype. It might crash and burn. If it crashes and burns, we're going to make some changes on the fly. If you see something and it doesn't make any sense, give it to me so I can see what it is and then throw it out. <laughs> you know, um, right, right, right. Sort of <laughs> setting those expectations as to where you are in the process, I think, makes a really big difference. And then once the game got signed with Stonemaier, I mean, they have an incredible blind playtester network, and so we did, I think, six different waves of, of playtesting, and each wave goes to somewhere between like five and seven or something like that, lead play testers. And then the lead play testers organize uh, several play tests. And then um, they fill out a Google survey after every single play test with just kind of what worked, what didn't work, how did you like the session, how long did it take, kind of like data. And then they would also submit a several page long report after the end of all three sessions, basically talking about some of the more qualitative stuff. And then basically after each one of those waves came back, uh, Jamie Stegmeier would sort of pull out the things that he thought were the most critical, summarize them in an email, maybe provide some solutions, maybe just sort of say, what do you think? And then he would send me all of the files and all of the reports. And then I would pour through them. And then usually what would happen is I would uh, have a quite a bit of back and forth with Jamie on sort of troubleshooting, um, problem solving, that kind of stuff, take it, do some more play tests myself, and then send it back to Jamie. He would try it and then he'd send it out for another wave of play testing. And then we did that about, I think, six times.
1: Wow, and how long did, do you know, like, about how long
0: that all took? I will admit that when I had the game, it took me a little while. I might may have taken a year off uh, for the pandemic, <laughs> um, and so I ended up. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a weird time, um, but I brought it to sure, the sure. game to Stone, yeah, to Stone Myers Design Day in uh, twenty in the September of twenty twenty one. And then ended up signing it with Stonemeyer in, I believe, November 2021. And then that iterating and blind play testing process took somewhere around maybe six to eight months, something like that. Gotcha. And that was, you know, after I had basically made it the best game I possibly could and then sent it to Stonemeyer. And then we did that, you know, maybe eight months or so of development after that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Cool. So at what point did you start like documenting the rules for Apiary?
0: Yeah, that was a good question. I I know you sent it to me ahead of time and I was thinking about it and I didn't don't have a good <laughs> answer for that to be honest with you because it <laughs> no was worries. so haphazard. I think I ended up writing the rules way too early to be honest with you because I remember writing and rewriting them like a dozen times and that's obviously gotcha. not not a very efficient use of time. I think what I would say like for sort of forward-looking advice that it's it's good to make some amount of documentation especially if you anticipate that you might not play the game for a month because you will forget or at least I I will forget. <laughs> <laughs> And so I think it's important to at least write down enough that you know uh, what's going on. But I think that in terms of more coherent rulebooks, I would wait until fairly late in the process, maybe not when you're gonna be sending it out to, you know, blind or unguided playtesters, but close to that point in time. One of the things though that I will flag and one of the I think it's really a useful exercise, uh, rulebook writing, because a lot of times it will tell you the problems in your game. Because if you can't figure out how to write it. It's going to trip people up. And that's, I think, kind ah. of a good, a good lesson um, is that if I'm staring at a page for 25 minutes and I can't figure out how to explain an edge case, like I probably just need to design that edge case out of there.
1: Right, right, right. What would you say was the uh, the biggest challenge you faced during either design while you were designing Apiary or developing? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So outside of some of the like me being direction directionless and needing to find a direction, uh, which I would call a challenge of a sort. A couple of other sort of mechanical things in particular, one was the aging and dying of the workers. You know, I started out with uh, D6s so the workers would have to age, you know, six times and that was way too slow. And so kind of trying to design around that, I spent, you know, a fairly long amount of time trying to figure out how to make it that work and it just didn't. So that's one piece of it. Right. Another piece of it was figuring out the bump mechanism. That was not something that I found to be particularly easy. And I had a lot of different versions of it and a lot of different iterations. And a lot of times it was like, your worker would get bumped off the space and then it would go into some kind of a common pool and then you'd retrieve it from the space Um, was pretty challenging. Um, In addition to like having the numbers mean something because obviously in the current version, the number is associated with the strength of the action you can take and trying to figure out that puzzle really took quite a lot of time. So that was one of the harder, one of a couple of the harder things.
1: Did you always have the bump mechanism or was it ever at a point like more just straight up worker placement, place, get them back? Place.
0: That's a good question. It was never straight up worker placement. I think from the beginning, I sort of had this concept of, you know, they're, they're bees, right? Um, and the, the the move to space uh, changed later, but from the first version of the game, they were bees. And so blocking never made a lot of sense to me. We had also played a lot of Charterstone, um, which is a Stonemeyer, Jamie Stegmaier designed um, legacy game that uses a bumping mechanism. And so that was something that I was always considering. It was not in every version of the game and it did Vary around there, but I didn't ever have worker placement spots blocked. That was never something that seemed to fit with the game. Gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Outside of solving like, Hey, I want these bees to go to level four and, and the bumping and everything. Were there any other aha moments you kind of stumbled upon?
0: Well, one of the really late aha moments actually came in development. Um, And this, Jamie gets all the credit for this one. Um, But, you know, one of the things he really, really wanted was for the four B's, you know, the strength four B's are the most powerful B's. They can take the best actions. He wanted the strength four B's to do something special in every single action thought. So we had Ah. for a while, we had, you know, the you can get the best buildings, like the ones that are most uh, important for victory points. You know, you could get those with the strength four B's. We had the seed cards that you can um, essentially tuck under your, your mat and you could do that with a four. But some of the other strength four actions actually were added pretty late. And that was something that Jamie really wanted because he really wanted that kind of tension. So like you didn't know what you you wanted. You were pulled in a lot of different directions. And I think that is one of the best yeah. parts of the game that, again, was added very, very late.
1: Oh, that's really cool. You know, I already mentioned, like, I, I love that box cover art that Quan Chai did but, you know, the graphic design is also like so fantastic. And I love how the the game board, like everything is so easy to read and, you know, it just looks really eye pleasing and interesting, but it's also really functional. So how were mm-hmm. the art and graphic design decisions made?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So most of that's Stonemaier. Um, So when, when basically the day that they signed the game, Jamie said, hey, do you have any artists in mind? I want to, you know, get, get on the art. Um, I have somebody in mind, you know, his name is Quan Chai Moria, at which point you just kind of do a spit take, right? (laughs) You know, but is there, is there somebody else you want? And I'm like, no, because so by this point, I should mention by this point, we'd moved it to space. That was part of the pre-signing sort of discussion um, with Stonemeyer. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So it was bees. It was bees when I had initially kind of reached out to them about the game. And then Later, Jamie was sort of like, hey, I'm a little worried about this theme. You know, Honey Buzz just came out, which is a midweight work worker placement game featuring honeybees. Would you consider putting mm-hmm. a sci-fi twist on the game? And I said, absolutely. So by this point, the game was in space. And so Quan Chai Moria just seemed like <laughs> such a good fit. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, but, then, yeah. but then, you know, Quan Chi really ran with it. And um, as did Jamie. And I didn't really see the art until it was pretty close to finished. I love it. It's absolutely wonderful. I wish I could take some kind of credit for some kind of hand in it somewhere, but I really can't. Um, and then Stonemaier has a, basically a staff graphic designer. I think she was on contract for a while and is now just employed by them and does the graphic design for all of their games. And then I'll flag too that one of the big kind of mantras, I think, with Stonemire is, is making their games very accessible and making that onboarding very, very easy and providing things like there's a teaching guide in Apiary that's like a one-page, here's how you teach the game and stuff like that. And so I think that Makes their games a lot more accessible in a really wonderful way.
1: Totally, totally. So, when and how did you come up with the name Apiary?
0: Yeah, that was really early, to be honest with you. I think the very first prototype had the name Apiary, and you know, it's the definition is a collection of um, beehives. And from, you know, one of the other kind of core elements of the game that stayed from the very beginning to the very end was this idea of hive building. You know, each of you are building out a hive and it's like, well, what's a collection of beehives? It's an apiary. And it's kind of a fun word. It's not something that's necessarily yeah. in everyone's vocabulary. But I think it's, you know, when you do, I kind of did a Google search and I was like, OK, there's no game that has any kind of a name um, that's any, anything <laughs> similar. So it sort of stands out. And so I think it just it just kind of stuck. Um, I'm generally terrible at naming things. Um, but for whatever reason, that one seemed to work out pretty well. And then I thought for a while, once we moved it to space, that we might change the name. And then I think we just liked it. So we just kept it.
1: <laughs> Very cool. And s- speaking of the hives, uh, one of the cool things about Apiary is that you have all these different hive mats that you can start with. And it kind of gives everybody this this uh, asymmetry when you're playing. Did that come during development? Like after you came up with the, like, let's do the outer space kind of theme yep. with the bees? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. And I will say that I, for a very long time, I had a much more punishing version of the hive mats that no one liked. (laughs) And that was basically that, yeah, one day I'm going to design a game with this because I really like it. But it basically was, you had to build out your hive. Your hive was your storage space. And then every time you built a tile in it, you covered up your storage space. So there was always this kind of push pull of, oh yeah. Yeah, what do you what do you want now versus later? And how close can you cut your storage and all that? And I really like that. But everyone else is like, this sucks. It's not very fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so we actually took that mechanism out for a while and then it kind of came back. It was actually a playtester suggestion. One of the blind playtesters for Stonemaier said, hey, I really like Arc Nova. Have you considered sort of a similar mat to that? And it's like, yeah, that's probably the solution that I was looking for before with the expansion and the storage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Having, having varied, uh, hive maps. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. I always wonder that when people have these different, you know, player boards or asymmetry in the games and like how that impacts, you know, the whole process of like play testing and how you decide how many you are going to have and, you know.
0: Well, and it makes it really hard too, because there's, so there's 20 unique factions in apiary and then the five hive mats. And so all of a sudden you're starting to get a lot of orders of magnitude and figuring out just how to play test all of these combinations. And so that's actually part of the reason, you know, we've gotten a lot of questions, like, why are there only five hive mats? You know, why do you have 20 factions and only five hive mats? Part of it was because I started the factions a long time ago. I mean, I had the factions in it when I first pitched the game to to Stonemeyer. but part of it is that we wanted to make sure that all 20 factions could work with all of the hive mats. And so you needed to have the hive mats within a fairly narrowly constrained universe you know, obviously some of them are going to work better or worse with different factions. I mean, that's just kind of fundamental. But we wanted to make sure that there weren't any abilities or combinations that just didn't work. And that's a difficult puzzle. And that's part of the reason why we only have the, the five hive mats.
1: Yeah, I can't even imagine if you had like more than that with all of the different factions, you know. <laughs> but yeah, 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 that that makes sense. So how did um you and or like Jamie at Stoneyer team, how did you guys know that the game was finished and ready to like launch for pre-order?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's hard, right? I mean, and I think that if you talk with any designer, they're gonna say your game their game's never done. I mean, I think you could work on it until the end of time, but you know, they've been doing this a long time, and I think for them they wait until they try to get the playtest scores up to a certain point, I mean, both numerically and also what the playtester feedback is saying. And I, I do think you get a sense of like each each iteration, the changes get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so I think the last couple of waves of playtesting, all we were really doing is changing some of the new numerical values. Like, okay, this should cost two honey instead of three honey or three honey instead of two honey, or this should be worth four points instead of three points. I mean, that kind of stuff. And so once you do a couple of rounds of that, it's probably about done. I mean, again, you could keep tweaking until the very end of time and you're never going to get it perfect. But, you know, and, and as an aside, one kind of game design side note <laughs> is uh-huh. Uh-huh. one of the tricky things uh, with apiary is a lot of the numbers are actually fairly small. I mean, so you're dealing with one honey, two honey or three honey for the kind of the big victory point buildings. And that's actually a little bit difficult. You know, you sort of see why some of these games start giving you, you know, 17.5 points for something like that is because obviously like, <laughs> you know, the smaller the numbers that you're working with, the coarser the designations are. And so there are a lot of situations where you have like one of these tiles and it's like it costs two honey and it gives you four points per something. And you can't quite go to five and you can't quite go to three, but four isn't quite right. And there's just like not a way to get it to line up. And that's sort of an interesting puzzle that obviously the higher you go, the higher the base numbers go, the more um, kind of nuance you can have in that scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, note. yeah. That,
1: that, <laughs> that is really interesting to think about. So is this your first design or your, just your first sign design?
0: No, just my first design. So I just kind of stumbled into something and, and rolled with it and got lucky and tried to make Aww. the most of it, basically.
1: Oh, that is, that is so awesome. Congratulations again.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I didn't it. say
1: congratulations yet, but congratulations. <laughs> that's, really, that's really awesome. Do you have any advice for someone out there who might be interested in designing a worker placement game?
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just kind of general game game design advice. And that's like, find a community. I mean, there's a lot of really great communities online. Um, you know, Cardboard Edison does a lot of really cool stuff. Break My Game does a lot of really cool stuff. You know, I mean, find something in person if you can. But otherwise, you know, find an online group. I, I, I really think that is the number one. thing Because, I, I mean, there are so many tips and tricks that you learn as you're a designer. And it's hard to figure them out on your own. So learning from others is key. In terms of, you know, worker placement games in particular, I would say figure out what you want the game to feel like. You know, do you want it to be a traditional worker placement game? Because a lot of the sort of more kind of traditional worker placement games are incredibly um, restrictive and they can be incredibly punishing. And that's a real big part of the game. I mean, if you think about something like Agricola, if you need those wood and you don't get those wood. Like, ooh, you're going to be (laughs) in it for a rough time. (laughs) And so, you know, is that the feeling that you want to go for in the game? Or do you want something that's a bit more flexible? And if you want something more flexible, there's a lot of like the bump mechanism You know, I think a lot of the Shem Phillips games are just amazing. I mean, if you think of, like, Raiders of the North Sea or um, Architects of the West Kingdom are doing lots of really interesting things with worker placement where you're not really locked out of any spots. And so that's kind of decision number one. And then you can sort of go from there based on how you want the game to feel.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too. And yeah, there are so many different styles of worker placement out there these days.
0: Yeah, and I put a shout out for dice placement, too. I mean, it's one of my favorite, favorite mechanisms. And I mean, Avery is sort of dice placement, except you don't ever roll them. So I don't know.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. No, that's a good point. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Connie, thanks so much for joining me today on Cardboard Creations. I always love hearing backstories of board games. This one, again, like I said, like when I heard about bees in outer space, I was like, what is this all about? It's really cool to hear the backstory for Apiary. Is there anything else that you're working on for apiary and or is there anything else you're working on that you like to mention you know anything with dragons
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just a little game with dragons so um for apiary i am working on an expansion we haven't really they haven't really released any more information than that but i am working on an expansion so i'm very very excited about that uh, and then obviously Wormspan. Uh, Wormspan uh was just announced as w Uh, YRM Span, um, you know, which is obviously a (laughs) spinoff of of Wingspan. (laughs) And that was um, a project that I've been working on for about two years now. um, And I'm really, really excited for people to get to play it. I think it will be very familiar uh, to those who know Wingspan. Um, It uses the same kind of, uh, in this case, you're putting dragons onto a player mat. And then every dragon that you play increases your player mat. And then you're kind of building an engine that way. Uh, but there's a lot of new elements too. I mean, it was built completely ground up. Elizabeth served as a developer um, on the game. And so she had a lot oh. of kind of input. And But I think there's a lot of unique elements too. I mean, all of the dragons are completely different than the bird cards. You have this kind of dragon guild, essentially a track that you're going around and you're competing with other players. You have to excavate your tunnels first. Um, so it's kind of a multi-layered process. And then I would say too, wow. for folks who, who know Apiary um, and have played Apiary, I obviously really like combos as a player. Like combo building is kind okay. of like the thing that I like as a player and so I incorporated a lot of that into Wormspan too and so I think you'll f- you'll find that that comes through <laughs> for better or for worse awesome um, and then yeah um, so I could kind of keep going but that's kind of the just gist, the gist of Wormspan and that'll be going on sale I think at the at the end of the month and shipping right away because that's kind of what Stonemeyer does so
1: yeah yeah oh that is so exciting oh. like a double it's header very here very exciting
0: <laughs> yeah terrifying but <laughs> exciting <laughs>
1: Awesome, Connie. Well, thank you again so much. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. This this has been a lot of fun. So thank you.
1: Thank you all for watching Cardboard Creations. Hopefully it's been as inspiring and fascinating for you as it has been for me. And remember, the only way to get something done is to start doing it.